HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3. I, I think we should realize that we more or less have a broken food system. When 800 million of us go to bed hungry, uh, 600 million are obese, uh, we waste 30% of our food, then something is fundamentally wrong. We'll introduce you to one food waste solution happening in Asia. They introduced this system where residents were issued an electronic ID card that would open an automated bin and enable them to weigh the food waste being dropped off. And then they would be charged, you know, in a certain amount of money for the weight of that food. And we'll take a look at some of the real struggles happening closer to home. How is it possible that a meal that was perfectly fine to consume at... 10.59 p.m. then becomes waste at 11 p.m. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Naki Kotayama, a food fighter and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see uh, sushi every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my co-guest. And my guest today is Jeremy Yumanski, who is a chef-owner of Larder, a super cool and unique Eastern European delicatessen and bakery in Cleveland, Ohio. Koji is becoming a culinary keyword lately, and koji is used to make uh, almost all fermented foods in Japan. And Jeremy is one of the most knowledgeable and experienced professionals in the field with an innovating, refreshing mindset. So today we'll discover what koji is, how it is used traditionally, how you can use it in your own kitchen, and much, much more. But before we start, uh, Japan Eats is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, and subscribe to Japan Eats. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. 
Also, if you have any ideas about topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at japaneseheritageradionetwork.org or akikukatem.com. And、uh, a quick announcement、uh, the 23rd Sumo's 2 is coming to New York on Monday, November 12th at 8 p.m. at Brooklyn Brewery in Williamsburg. And as you may know, Sumo's 2 is a seasonal live streaming event of sumo matches straight from Japan. And you can enjoy Japanese food from outstanding restaurants as you watch the matches. <coughs> Excuse me, tickets are available at eventbrite.com and search Sumo's 2. At eventbrite.com and search Sumo's 2. And for Japanese、uh, listeners, there is a $10 off discount code. That is SS Japanese and WAWA WS、uh, Japanese. And finally,、um, I will be moderating an event at Japan Society this Wednesday, October 24th at 6 30 p.m. And the theme is Crafting Beer Traditional Techniques, Modern, beer, modern Brews. And、uh, Joshua Bernstein, beer journalist, the author of Homebrew World Discover the Secrets of the World Leading Home Brewers. Uh, he traces how Japanese sake techniques and the producers are influencing today's global craft beer trends. The talk and discussion will be followed by a tasting of Japanese craft beers and the beer influenced by Japan. For tickets, go to japansociety.org. That is japansociety.org. So now let's start our conversation with Jeremy Yamansky. Hi. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So,、uh, I just went to your workshop at、uh, the Starships Congress that's being held in New York City, and、um, I was so excited. So well, fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, I'm glad that I can share that, your ideas with the、uh, listeners on this program, too. So, first of all,、uh, let's talk about your background. So, where are you from, and、uh, what did you eat when you grew up? Sure.、Uh, so, I'm from as far away from Japan <laughs> as you can get. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I grew up in a little town、um, just outside of the city.、Um, great upbringing.、Uh, I was really fortunate. My grandmother was a、uh, kosher caterer.、Mm. Um, she、uh, did catering out of one of the synagogues、uh, in the Cleveland area. So, growing up, I ate a lot of. Traditional Jewish foods, Eastern European foods.、Mm, professionally、um, prepared, too. Yeah, yeah.、Um, yeah. My grandmother, she would be one of the first to tell you she's not the best cook. She's a good baker, not the best cook, but she knows how to, how to employ people that are good cooks.、Mm. You know, that's,、uh, I guess that's one of the, the signs of a good chef, right? right. Knowing your <laughs> limits and, and building a good team. So,、mm. uh, so yeah, growing up,、um, You know, it was, it was really interesting. Like,、uh, the Cleveland area was settled by a lot of、uh, Slavic and Eastern European immigrants.、Uh, so, not only was I eating that food at home, but you go out to a restaurant and you get stuffed cabbage or, you know, veal schnitzel or foods along those lines. So,、um, you know, it was, it was fully ingrained. I was really fortunate, though. I had kind of a global experience with food early on. My, uh, my aunt, uh, her name's Judy, she's a wonderful woman. She was in the Navy and was in Osaka and、uh, spent a lot of time in Japan. She, I think she was over there five, six years. Wow. And when she had leave, she would come and she'd come visit. And I was probably know, 11, 12 years old. And she came one visit and she went to the grocery store. This was in the mid 90s. And she bought a bunch of raw tuna. And she came over and she cooked some rice. And 
made like a shirashi bowl, you know, <laughs> and like made us a sushi meal. And I was like, this is not stuffed cabbage. <laughs> this is fantastic. So. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Wow. So, so those are interesting, um, I don't know if coincidence or destiny, but uh, you went to CIA, uh, the Career Institute of America, which is also called uh, the Harvard of Culinary Schools. So that is, that, is. <laughs> is that how you got into the food business? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I worked for my grandmother starting at an early age, around 11 or so. I was in the kitchen with her and worked for her, you know, events on the weekends and whatnot. Uh, then kind of going through high school, I always had jobs in pizzerias or ice cream shops or that sort of thing. Um, I did leave the food industry for a few years, around 19 or 20. Uh, worked for my uncle. He's a mortician. Um, so I w- did work doing that. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, as I was going about my undergraduate studies and, and I was working as a mortician, doing a little catering, it all was coming back to food. And that's when I made the decision to, to, to go back in and go to school. Mm, wow. So... There is a reason that you are doing what you're doing, which is kind of discussing the moment. That, that's it. Right. So, um, so we'll talk about what Koji is in a moment, but uh, how did you come across uh, Koji in the first place? Um, you know, I, I have a good friend in Cleveland, uh, just a, a wonderfully brilliant chef, Jonathan Sawyer. And I was working with Jonathan uh, when I relocated from New York City back to Cleveland. By the way, Jonathan, he won a James Beard Award. Oh, yeah, James Beard Award-winning chef. I mean, he was uh, a food and wine best chef a number of years ago. Like, he's he's a badass. Mm. There's no ifs, ands about it. His food's fantastic. And his passion for good, natural food is explosive. Oh, oh yeah. Not only only sourcing direct from farmers, but using everything. Mm. I mean, he has his pig head on the menu. And uh, at the Greenhouse Tavern, they do a fifth quarter dish so it's always some type of offal or a foot or a tail like a, an underutilized part that's always featured on the menu mm. yeah yeah uh several years ago i visited cleveland and i saw his um you know the kitchen the backside of the kitchen there's like whole bottles of vinegar oh yeah and uh it's leftover made with um leftover high quality wines yeah and and, well and speaking of vinegar I, you brought it up i'm gonna plug it to today it's the the 22nd uh jonathan i i helped him co-write a book called house of vinegar mm. um through 10 speed press it's it's available for release today wow yeah so so you know check out it Check it out on Amazon. It's it's a great. It's a if you love vinegar, if you love fermentation, it's a fantastic book. Mm, so it's uh, features how it's made, how you can use it, everything. Yeah, yeah, everything in between. So we kind of start with some history and how to actually make vinegar itself, or make the alcohols you need to make vinegar, uh, and then it goes into a series of recipes that all use vinegar. Everything from uh, a chocolate cake to dessert to a cocktail to wow. you know braised meat you name it we've got recipes using vinegar in there. Mm, so what's the title again it's called house of vinegar okay so everybody let's check that out yeah <laughs> so um okay so let's talk about i mean this vinegar and cozy they're like fermented food all related so they are yeah and you know so i was working with jonathan um and uh we'd open up his restaurant trentina his italian restaurant and he wanted me to make a miso out of garbanzo beans. Mm. It was an Italian restaurant, so we kind of wanted the, the miso to have an Italian identity. That's funny, right? In Japan, people tend to believe strongly it has to be with soybeans. Right. 
right? Um, And we found a little bit of information out there. There's brilliant chefs like David Chang who had been doing his hosans, like uh, different miso-like products. I know he doesn't really like to use that word in conjunction with what he's doing, but these amino pastes Mm. uh, out of sunflower seeds and other things. So uh, seeing that it could be done with things outside of soy, we decided to give it a shot. And that was my first introduction to koji. Mm. When you look up how to make miso, it says, well, you need koji. If you don't have the koji, you can't go any further. Mm, Right. So... What is koji by definition? It it is, I think, the most beautiful, intoxicating, bewitching thing on the planet. (laughs) Uh, But outside of the romance of it, it it is a mold. Um, And really, it's not too different. You know, you forget about uh, the leftovers in the fridge and they grow mold on them. Uh, or you don't clean your shower well enough and there's mold on the wall. It's it's a mold along those lines. Mm. It just happens to be it's one of the ones that we use in food production. It's a good, safe, really amazing mold. Mm. Right. So uh, like I said at the beginning, so almost every single fermented, typical Japanese fermented food is made with koji. Yeah. So um, so basically what, that, what does it do? They cut the whole like a chain of starch making to sugar yeah i mean you you got it very it's it's very simple what it does it just does it in very complex ways so when the mold grows uh they don't have a mouth like we do it's but it's still a living organism it needs to eat so it secretes these types of proteins called enzymes and what these enzymes do is they spread out over what the koji is growing on its food source and they break down the starches in its food into simple sugars and they break down the proteins into amino acids and the fats into fatty acids and esters Mm. so you take these big molecules like a starch molecule and break it into simple sugars now the mold has something small enough that it can eat it can absorb it through its body Mm. now that's all great for the mold but what does that mean for us well, it means we can use it to create deep umami flavors in foods. Mm. We can create sweetness where there wasn't any. So something, a product you make from koji, like an amazake, mm. uh, sometimes drank as a beverage, other times used as an alternative sweetener, like mm. someone would use honey. Uh, literally, we can just take rice and the mold and end up with something that's as sweet as honey, or mm. sweet as a syrup. Right. So in theory, you need to, for the koji to work on something, you need a protein or starch or what kind of... Or, or fat. Mm. So the, and that's the beauty. Everything we eat has those things in it. Mm. Just the different mixes of those things. Right. So whether we grow koji directly on a piece of meat to make charcuterie or kind of replicate what uh, dry-aged meat is like, or we grow it on a beet or mm-hmm. a carrot. Right. Or we We're going to get into that deeply in a moment. Yeah, or yeah. we grow it on, on rice or barley, which are two of the things that it was just traditionally grown on. Mm. All of those different foods, from the meat to the rice, they all have starch in them. They all have protein. Mm. They all have fats. Right. So these are all things that the koji, as it grows, it can put its enzymes on and go to work on. Mm. So traditionally, um, how is it used like, you know, if you take some examples from Japanese fermentation. Sure. I, I think it all goes back to booze. 
We all love alcohol. <laughs> so one of the earliest, and it, it's really interesting because uh, it's believed that while the Jap- Japanese are the ones that beautified and refined and codified koji, it's not believed they're the ones that domesticated it. Mm. Um, it's believed somewhere in kind of central northern China um, or even the Korean Peninsula uh, that the, it was first realized that this mold could turn the starch in rice into sugar and then alcohol could be made. Mm. And that was very important. I mean, we're, we're going back roughly 6,000 to 7,000 years. New archaeological evidence is showing us. Mm. This was important because at one time we all take our water that comes out of our faucet for granted. But at one time, people didn't have safe water. Mm. Even if they were gathering water from a local spring, it could have a microbe in there that would cause dysentery Mm. or giardia, like things that could make you sick. So people would turn their water into low concentration alcohol, Mm. half a percent, one percent. And people would drink this all the time. So someone must have stored some rice somewhere and some koji must have been on it because it does grow wild in that part of the area. And when they went to cook the rice, the koji grew. Mm. And before they knew it, it sat a little longer. Somebody forgot about it again, and they had alcohol. Mm. So I, I think at its simplest, that, that's where it all starts. And, you know, if we look at sake and sochu and some of the other, you know, alcohols made from rice, uh, there's a huge tradition. And, and a lot of those beverages... Uh, the Japanese have always been at the forefront. Mm, right. So, um, and in my opinion, I love Chinese food, but Chinese wine is not very good. Mm. <laughs> the Japanese really, really did a good job of, and you know, we, we call, they call sake a wine, but it's more of a beer. It's made from a grain. It's right. not made from a fruit. So mm. it's definitely in my eyes, more of a beer. Right. So, um, so that example of sake, so you have rice koji. And then East, right? So East can be different kinds. It can be sure. Japanese, national, like black or yellow or white koji. Right. The, and then some East thrown in. Right. And the yeast could be added or it could be, you know, if you make a, like a, and I might pronounce some things, you know, differently, but like a, a dobru, like a cloudy, unfiltered sake. Mm. Uh, some of those are made with wild yeast. Mm. where they don't actually add the yeast. They just, they make an amazake and they just let it sit out. Mm. And hopefully there's enough yeast in the air to come in and start eating the sugars in there and and make alcohol. Mm. And some of those styles also tend to be a little lactic sour um, because they have some lactic fermentation happening. Mm. Because lactic acid is everywhere in the air, right? Yeah, and so are the yeast. Mm. I mean, they're on our skin. We breathe them in. They're everywhere. Right. Yeah, um, well, I really hate the fact that you know sun sanitizers, hand sanitizers everywhere, like you bank or like for hospitals. I think if you just keep using those things and people just really sanitize everything. Oh, I agree. I, those, it drives me crazy. Right, the fermentation, the function of fermentation is kind of like half eliminated almost in the modern Western world. Right. Yeah. Right. So. Very much so. Mm. Very much so. So, but anyway, so. Um, yeah, so you mentioned earlier, so umami yeah. um, is a kind of associated always with the word koji. So how does it work? Like umami is increased by koji? Yeah, so it, koji creates umami. Um, so if we eat 
just a, a regular piece of protein. Let's say we eat um, a chicken breast. Mm. Oh, sorry. So umami, so for listeners who are not familiar, it's uh, the sixth taste, savory taste. After Officially. It's, Officially. It's definitely there. Mm. So after sweet, sour, bitter, salty, and right. there's something savory, that's umami. Savory, and it's heavy on the tongue, and it's very... A lot of people will use the word unctuous, like it, it feels, it coats the tongue, it's heavy, it's, it's delicious. Mm. Um, so if we just ate a chicken breast, uh, something that's pretty pure protein, uh, we wouldn't get much umami. A little bit, maybe after, after you ate it and there was some residual in your mouth. Because we do have some of these enzymes in our, in our body. Mm. Um, you might get a little bit. But what koji does is it breaks apart the proteins into the things that make them. And those are amino acids. And mm. the, the biggest amino acid responsible for, for umami is glutamic acid. A lot of us know the refined version as MSG, mm. <laughs> which does not make you sick. There's mm. no allergy. Right. <laughs> it, it is a naturally occurring compound. Um, you know, koji can literally make that from the existing proteins that are there. Mm. So it's it literally creating umami. It's, it's really interesting because if we take that, go back to that chicken breast and we eat it, we take a bite and it goes down to our stomach. All of the things the koji is doing before we eat it, our stomach is doing after we eat it. Mm. So koji is really interesting in that it, it is like the key to unlock the chest before we eat instead of after. Right. So, so by breaking down um, the amino acid yeah. elements in food, you, it's kind of like more easy to be received from your receptors. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. That's exactly. So these taste receptors on our tongue, uh, they all have individual sites on them that are responsible for interpreting different compounds, mm. whether it's the amino acids or it's the esters that a fat breaks down into. And Koji puts them all out there for us mm. because normally they're just not there. They're all bound up in complex structures in a food. Mm. But Koji kind of unties them, unbinds them. It sets them all free. Nice. So yeah. if, you, if you eat a piece of food that does not have koji on it, it's going to be good. It's going to taste like that food. Mm. But when you eat a piece of food that's been treated with koji in whatever way, whether you use shio or amazaki or you grow koji on it, it goes from a good food to just a divine food, mm. a delicious food, a great food. Something that you crave, you want more of it. Right. Well, I'm going to uh, talk about, uh, you know, shiokoji and amazake in a moment, too, because I think it's a very interesting application of koji. Yeah. But uh, I want to talk about first the uh, lada, uh, which opened in April this year yeah. in Cleveland, Ohio. So, and that's where you do anything interesting, fascinating thing um, with koji. So, what is uh, lada? Uh, so, it is an Eastern European delicatessen. Uh, I've got two fantastic business partners, uh, my wife, Allie, um, and Allie's got a pastry, baking and pastry degree from CIA. We met there. Um, and our other partner, Kenny Scott, um, it's just great. We're all chef owner. We get to work together all the time. You know, each of us has a strength and a weakness, so we work really great as a team. Mm. Um, we produce Eastern European food. Um, very much like we wanted to model it off of a delicatessen you would have found 
in New York a hundred years ago mm. or any anywhere a hundred years ago or or very similar to what they still are in Europe. And that is a place where all the food is made there. Mm. So you don't go out and get charcuterie from somebody else. You make it there. Mm. Um, we make vinegar and then we use that to make mustard. We bake all our bread fresh every day. We make all our pickles. Um, that was what we wanted to do. Mm. And, and that style of deli, the delicatessen, is very different from what a deli is now. The delis we have now, whether they're Italian or Jewish or whatever they may be, kind of were very influenced by the diner culture in the 1950s. Mm. Quick, fast food, big menus, lots of stainless steel aesthetic inside. Um, you know, we wanted to go with wood tones and in-house produced food. And that's where we kind of differentiate from a deli mm. and call ourselves a delicatessen. Oh, so I didn't know that the classic, uh, like traditional deli is like such a slow food, stage of slow food. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. Mm. It really is. Okay. So, um, the... So what kind of menu do you offer at the classic deli? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. So we have two things. There's really only two things we have all the time, every day. And that's our pastrami for a pastrami sandwich and our fried chicken sandwich. Um, everything else we do, we always have a sausage sandwich every day, but it changes the different type of sausage all the time. Always have a fish sandwich, but daily it's always, always different. Uh, sometimes it's not a sandwich at all. Sometimes it's like a plate of cured fish or pickled fish with, with pickles and lettuce. Um, you know, daily we go in and we see what our farmers brought us, what mm -hmm. the, the fishermen and women that work the Great Lakes. We only use fish out of the Great Lakes. We're right there. It doesn't make sense for me to bring salmon in when I have a beautiful lake right here. Mm. Uh, so we look at what we have and we create a menu new every day. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. and then you have the fresh fish from today, but you have fermented items that took you like month and month. Months. So sometimes uh, some of the things we, we have going are years old. Mm. Um, you know, there, there's a, a wide variety of, of different things that, that we do. So uh, it, it allows us to be very seasonal with our food, but extend the season and kind of enjoy it off-peak mm. also okay right so um for listeners i haven't watched it there's an interesting ted talk <laughs> by jeremy the first time i saw it i was i was stunned even like how fascinating you know well, your concept you. is so um let's talk about how you apply koji in your kitchen sure um so i think our pastrami is a great example uh pastrami to normally make it it takes about a month you, you start with raw meat, brisket, uh, or sometimes beef navel, and you brine it in a very heavy brine um, with spices. And most people, that brining process takes up the majority of the time. So about three weeks, maybe even the full month. After that, the meat's taken out of the brine. It is then crusted with these pastrami spices, which is mainly a mix of black pepper and coriander. Then the meat is smoked, and then it is either steamed or braised for a little bit. And like I said, that can be a month-long process. Uh, using koji, we can do that going from raw brisket to on your sandwich in about three days. Mm. <laughs> wow. So, so, and we, we simply, uh, we, we get our brisket in, 
Uh, we use a beautiful certified Angus beef brisket, and we rub it down with, with salt and curing salts. Uh, then we place it in a bag, and we add amazake to it. Mm. And then we seal the bag up, and on the third day, uh, we take it, we smoke it, and then we steam it. Mm. Uh, the koji, it just works so fast and so wonderfully that mm. it tenderizes the meat and creates just fantastic flavor mm. in a fraction of the time. Right. But how did you come up with using koji out to totally outside the context of Japanese application of koji? You know, once once we started working with it, because originally we started working very, tr very traditional, right, to, to get into it and understand it, especially when you look up information on how to use it, it's all based on the traditional mm, uses. Right, like a sake, miso, soy sauce. Right, mm. right. So after we were comfortable, you know, I was comfortable working with it, it was just a matter of, well, if it does this in one food, it could probably do the same thing in another food. Let's try it. Mm. And, you know, from there we developed everything from the pastrami to our fried chicken that we do, uh, we actually, in our breads that we make, um, uh, we have two main breads, a, a rye bread and, and a white bread that we use spent brewer's grain in. Uh, both of those, the liquid in them, it's not water, it's amazake. Mm. And for those, we make a style of amazake that we call sour amazake. So we take the koji rice, we add more water to it than you normally would for an amazake. Mm. And we let it sit out. No salt in it. And what happens is it gets a little lactic. Mm. And that's, that's the water we use in our rye bread. So when you eat our rye bread, it kind of tastes like a sourdough. Interesting. But it's all from sour koji. Wow. As opposed to maintaining a, a, a bread starter. Mm. So I'm sure that our listeners want to know what amazake is. So what is amazake? So amazake, I think, is, is one of my favorite expressions of koji. So once you've, you've taken the, um, the koji spores and you've grown it on rice or barley, um, and then it's fully grown, you then have a koji. You can take that and people mix it with a little bit of cooked rice and a little bit of water and hold it at a warm temperature. And it makes this, it's a porridge, essentially. Um, it's a porridge that's full of sweetness from what the koji did to all the starches in, in the rice. It turned them all the sugars. Um, it's kind of thick, depending on where you are. There's different styles of it you can find. And I liken it when I explain, and I've never been to Japan and experienced it there, but I kind of explain Amazaki to people. It's a mashup of kombucha culture in U.S., so where we drink kombucha because it's very healthy and it makes us feel good and we feel good drinking it. So it's part that, but it's part hot chocolate culture. Hmm. So in the U.S., like it, you go sledding in the winter and you come home and your mother, your grandmother, whoever has a, a cup of hot chocolate for you and you drink it and it warms you back up and mm. it's invigorating. <laughs> Amazaki has these two things. It's very good and clean and healthy for you because it's probiotic. It's a fermented food. But at the same time, it's also very like comforting and warming. Um, so it's it's really it's just a fantastic thing, and uh, you can use it as an alternative sweetener, mm. you know, instead of honey. Um, but you can also use it to marinate meat in or seafood mm. uh, or vegetables. Right. So it's a uh, because it's sweet because koji makes you know like the function fermentation. 
it really gives a lot of deep sweetness. It's very deep because mm. it's it's creating that umami too at the same time. Because in the rice or in the barley, whatever you grow it on, there's some protein in there. We don't think of it as a high protein food, but there is still some in there. Mm. Um, if we look at the individual plant cells that make up the rice, there's protein in those individual cells. So it's there. And the koji does things on a microscopic level. So it has access to those. So that sweetness, you say that deep sweetness, it's an umami sweetness. Mm. Actually, I heard umami enhances other four flavors. Like it's Most definitely. Mm. Most definitely. And that's why I think a lot, a lot of the time nowadays, you see a lot of chefs mixing umami with sweet or sour and umami. Mm. Um, you know, a blending of these flavors and layering of them. Because they all work to enhance each other. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I also wanted to want you to talk about the fried chicken because when I heard about it, it was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the fried chicken is really interesting. Instead of, you know, a lot of people will take a piece of chicken and maybe brine it in buttermilk or something like that and then dredge in flour and then fry it. We can actually go a step further and we can grow the koji on the chicken mm. and then just fry it up right so you put a uh, rice flour on yeah. the chicken meat yeah so for that process what we we do is we actually we salt we apply salt and sugar to the chicken um this is kind of a safety measure and for flavoring mm. um the salt and the sugar act to kind of keep bad bad things away salmonella e coli that sort of thing things mm. we don't want in our food um, after that, we adhere a mixture of koji spores, so like their seed, and rice flour. And then we do something that it gets a little crazy there. We, we hold it at about 90 degrees Fahrenheit for a day and a half to two days to mm. allow the mold to grow. Wow. So no egg, no nothing egg, dairy. No, <laughs> no, no dairy, so we can have, you know... It's still meat, but if you're someone that can't have dairy or gluten or those sorts of foods, um, we've eliminated them from, from that process. Mm. And then we can just, after the mold has grown, um, just fry up the chicken. Right. Yeah. We, mm. we, do, we do a little bit different now uh, with our fried chicken sandwich where uh, we either use amazake or shiokoji. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll marinate the meat in that mm. and we feel the texture's a bit better that way we like it we get much better results and we can do a lot more that way too mm. growing the koji takes up a lot of space in the dehydrator and we only have a couple dehydrators so we can produce much more if we just take the raw chicken and mix it up in a bucket or a bag with amazake mm. and some spices and and that we get much better results right Interesting. I have never thought of those things. So, I mean, in Japan, you know, there's like everything else, there's a tradition. And then sure. kind of there's a fear to break the mold of tradition. Well, and, I, you know, it's, um, it's interesting you brought that up because when I started doing some of this work, um, I reached out to a couple people at the University of Tokyo. I figured what better place to go for answers to some of the mm, questions I had. That's equivalent of Harvard it, in Japan. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, that they would have some answers. And, and a couple people got back to me and put me in touch with some resources. And when I asked them about some of the things that we were doing with Koji, if it had been done before, they said, oh, no, why would somebody do that? <laughs> 
<laughs> so, I, you know, I honestly got kind of anxious. I said, well, if this is as good as we think it is and other people want to start trying this, what are, what are the Japanese going to think of me? You know, are they going to be upset with me for here's this this Jewish boy from from America messing with their koji <laughs> and manipulating it and doing things that aren't traditional? Are they going to be upset that I did that? Uh, you know, that was where my head was in the beginning. It ended up being the opposite. Mm. But as as intent as the Japanese are, they're so respectful of so many things. And the last thing I did as I fell in love with, with their national mold, their food, their koji, mm. was to disrespect them. Um, and I'm glad it, it was not viewed that way. Because mm. it makes sense. It's just the pushing the envelopes of what koji can do. Yeah. And... Wow, that's very eye-opening. <laughs> <laughs> very much so. Right. You know, I think, and on my end too, I think, you know, sometimes I think, well, why didn't somebody else do this first? Like, why, you know, what happened that, that enabled me and my team to, to be able to do this work? Um, you know, why didn't it happen in Japan? Mm. Um, I, you and I have talked a little bit uh, just about the stagnation of koji in japan because hmm. just like in america people don't necessarily cook at home or make fermented foods anymore uh the same thing's happening in japan hmm. people aren't growing koji anymore right. they're not making amazaki hmm. they still have it in their house they'll go buy it but they're not working with it the way they used to hmm. and some tradition is being lost and some knowledge is being lost and it's very important to find ways to prevent that from happening right well that's interesting you mentioned that because um you know you, you mentioned amazake but there's a shiokoji and since which, which is very it's very similar to amazake mm -hmm. but it's fermented a little longer mm. a week or even longer sometimes we leave our sit for a month or more mm. and it has salt in it right instead of sweetness it's salty right right yeah there's a huge boom in around i think 2011 there is a resurgence of popularity of shokoji because koji shokoji used to be like koji old people's food like my grandmother sure and there is a big boom so everybody decided to buy shokoji some supermarkets sold out and actually i tried it there's a package that you can make shokoji yeah and uh it works it does. Yeah. I've I've gotten I've been able to order some of those things through Amazon because uh, early on I wanted to try as many different Koji products as I could before I started making my own. Mm. So I had an idea of what it should look like, what it should taste like, what it should do. Right. So, all right. I think uh, we're going to take a quick break here and we continue our conversation and also how you can use Koji in sure. your own kitchen. So. Uh, please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant from French to Pan-Asian to American and that is why they are located in New York City where people from every country in the world come to eat. 
Coins Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and the real natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and brush removal to reshaping and realigning. Coin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit coin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese Broadcasting Live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Jeremy Umansky, who is a chef owner of Larder, a super cool and unique Eastern European delicatessen and bakery in Cleveland, Ohio. So, um, right, so the, we talked about the shokoji, and, yeah. uh, you know, we're going to talk about how you can use it in your kitchen, but in your case, I heard that uh, instead of using koji that's pre-made, you get spores. I do. Right. So how do you get it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that took a lot of research off the bat. Uh, fortunately, there's a company in America. Uh, they've been, been around for 20, 30 years now. They're called Gem Cultures, G-E-M. Uh, you, can, you can look them up. You can Google them, and, and they'll come up. Uh, they sell a wide variety of koji spores and tempeh spores and soy sauce making um, uh, equipment. And so when I first started getting the Koji spores to make it from scratch, uh, that's who I sourced from. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually the amount I needed kind of outgrew what they, <laughs> they had. And, um, I was introduced, I believe via you to, mm. to, uh, Higuichi Manitoden, mm. um, over in Japan, which, their koji is incredible. Mm. Incredible. Right. So, um, so there are only six koji companies in Japan, I heard. And it's a, throughout the country. It's like a spread. But the industry is kind of, uh, you know, not growing because of traditional way to use it. Only requires the six companies. Sure. So it's funny, right? Because almost all fermentation happens with koji in japan but then the industry is kind of uh stalled right so which i'm i'm hoping you know as as me and american chefs and there's plenty of european chefs and south american chefs um and chefs throughout you know the world over australia tasmania who are using koji now Mm -hmm. there's been this great it's a global awakening and it's it's relatively small now but it's very concentrated in the culinary community Mm. so within the next five ten years eventually we're going to see american home kitchens Mm. with maybe koji in them a shio koji or an amazaki in them much like we see soy sauce Mm. in people's homes now so my hope is that with us working with some of the traditional producers in japan Hopefully we can have this great relationship where we help them reach new markets. Right. You know, mm. and hopefully, too, that will reinvigorate pride in the Japanese. Right. And they will <laughs> say, well, all our koji is going to America now or to Europe. 
let's let's reinvest and let's mm. let's you know re-embrace this and right. it it's not that they haven't embraced it it's the national mold mm, you can you can get a comic book about a a koji right <laughs> there's magna that have koji there's stuffed animals there's children's toys it's mm-hmm. very very you know prolific in the in the society but like you said people aren't using it mm, in a way outside the box right right um yeah it's funny like you know when i tried koji um in my shokoji was so easy to make like yeah. you just mix it with rice and salt and I didn't have to do anything. And then I, when it's done, I put my chicken. And next day, it was a way better than my regular chicken. Like way better. Mm. I mean, you can, it's almost when I ask people to describe the koji. I, I had a friend um, up in Boston. Um, and he, he described it as the best tasting junk food ever. But it's good for you. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, that is true. It, it's just so, so delicious. It transforms it into something that you still know what the food is, mm. but it's the best you've ever right. had. Right, And without adding sugar or salt, you have natural sweetness and also mummy. Right. So you can increase, reduce or probably salt consumption or something. Yeah. It could be harmful potentially. Yeah. But, uh, well, the, let's just quickly go back to, uh, you know, your... Um, Koji Spore provider. Sure. Higuchi-san. He's uh, Higuchi Matsunosuke Shoten. He's in Osaka. Your pronunciation is so much better than mine. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it fast, but... <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I happened to visit him in January in yeah. Osaka. My first time. And uh, actually, he was interested by, uh, um, you know, the Brooklyn Sake guy. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, so Blendon, he, he said... I get koji from him. So I, I contacted him. And uh, he's, uh, I think he's actually, he studied in Ohio. Okay. I'm not kidding. It's a university. Wow. Yeah, he can speak English too. So, yeah, but he's a uh, seventh generation. And, it's incredible. Right? And uh, it's, they're doing interesting things. Lab, there is a koji-based drinks they're developing. Or, it's fascinating. Yes, and the, the, I mean, the strains that he carries, so... You know, we use this word koji and, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of direct translation means little ones, mm. right? Like uh, a grandparent would call their grandchildren their koji, mm. their, their little ones, their young ones, uh, which is appropriate because the mold is so small. You mm. need a, a magnifying glass or a microscope to see it. Um, the strains he grows, there's all different types of ones that grow on different grains specifically and use for different purposes. And his his variety of what he has and what his company's developed is just fantastic. Mm. Uh, when I go to his website, I just placed an order with him the other day. I I feel like I'm a little kid in a toy store. Mm. It's just so interesting that the depth and the breadth and the the care that him and his family over the past seven generations have taken into to growing these out and maintaining them mm. is just unrivaled. Right. And uh, I think on the website, there's a really limited number of coaches available, but I heard it at the lab, if I'm not wrong, it was like 5,000 strains. Which that's stored. why I need, a, <laughs> I need to go visit him. One of these days it will happen. Mm, yeah, I think uh, it should be sooner before the industry shrinks. So. That's, that's what I hope. Right. Okay, so... Um, yeah, let's quickly talk about um, how a listener can, listeners can use Koji uh, at home. I mean, sure. I think 
getting spores and to inoculate spores could be a little too difficult, but... Yeah, so I, I think the easiest and most approachable way, if people go to Amazon and type in Koji or Shio Koji, mm. you will find a listing of pre-made ones from Japan that you can order. Mm. And it's as easy as getting one of those and using it. I, actually, I got one of those uh, nearby uh, Japanese uh, grocery store in Brooklyn. And then, of course, in Manhattan, there are many. Well, but yeah, I, and I know uh, here in Brooklyn, Harry Rosenblum's a, a friend of mine and a great Japanophile. He loves Japan mm-hmm. and all things Japanese. You right. mentioned Sumo Stew at the, the beginning of the episode and he's he's been involved with that that's a fantastic right, he's one of the hosts at uh, heritage too so. yeah right. yeah and i've been on his show here um mm. i know at, at brooklyn kitchen at, at harry's store he carries some koji rice so rice that has the koji on it and mm. he, i believe he also carries some shio koji mm. i'm not sure he kind of now started the more you know in the in the industry city yeah, so brooklyn yeah. Kitchen. i'm not sure if he carries koji still but okay i hope so yeah. yeah, my last visit out to a shop, I think, oh, probably almost two years ago now. Oh, okay, so, right. But yeah, I know his shop, when he had Brooklyn Kitchen here, he he definitely had some mm. some in the store. So yeah, there are some unexpected, even local places that you could find it. Mm. And sometimes uh, me in Cleveland, we don't have any Japanese markets or Japanese grocers, but uh, Cleveland is actually home to the only Chinatown in Ohio. Mm. So we do have some Korean and Vietnamese and Chinese markets, and they have some products that are kind of similar to Koji mm. that they use that, you know, in a pinch you could use right. and get kind of similar results. Mm. Um, but it's as easy as just seeking it out. And I think a great way to get into it is uh, for those of you that eat meat. To order some shio koji and it's not expensive ten dollars will get you all that you need mm. to cook a meal right and it lasts like a couple months in your easily fridge. maybe even longer mm. maybe even a year or more right and, and it keeps you there alive so they keeps growing yeah, actually yeah so so you could just take uh you know some chicken thighs or a, a pork chop and put it in a little ziploc bag pour some shio koji on maybe a few heavy spoonfuls and let it sit for one to two days and marinate. And then you take it, you don't even have to rinse the shio koji off. Mm. Um, just sear it off in a pan or put it on the grill or roast it. And you will get immediately all the benefits of it. Right. It's, I mean, it's that easy. Mm. Yeah, actually, it's like the marinade itself acts like a sweeter sauce, more umami oh, sauce. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, for those people that don't eat meat. Um, we like to use shio koji instead of salt or soy sauce when we like saute vegetables. So let's say you're sauteing some pea pods or some baby carrots, whatever it may be. Just add a heavy spoonful of shio koji as you're cooking it mm. and it'll be, you'll be blown away. Mm. It's so incredible. I haven't tried that, so I have to do it maybe tonight. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, and I, you know, your security at the larder is something i mean i could potentially try how to cure like mushrooms with koji those things sure. but that's another level so i have to stay in touch with you to keep asking it, questions it is did you did you end up trying the beef fat did i cut you yep. a slice mm-hmm. of that today yeah i mean i think that beef fat comes out fantastic mm, i wanted a whole loaf of it <laughs> and it just it just melts on your tongue and uh, you know, the interesting thing about that normally when you make lardo or a cured charcuterie fat 
it needs to hang for a long time for the fat to break down and melt away. Because mm. you want a melty texture. You don't want a chewy, rubbery texture. Right. But on that, the koji does it in less than a week. Wow. Uh, that, that piece of fat, we did have to cure it for a couple weeks with mm-hmm. the salt and every, all the sugar and the curing salts on there. But then once we grow the koji on it and we hang it, that's mm. the time that it really needs to break down. So normally you would hang a, a hunk of fat, depending on the size, for a few months. In this case, we're able to hang it for a week mm. and get the same results because the koji is so strong and powerful. Right. Mm, that was amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, if our listeners want to try that kind of thing, yeah, they have to go come come to Larder. They to have learn. to come to Larder, but on the good side, there's there's uh, there's great news. I have a very close friend, Rich Shi. Um, I know Rich has been on a few, he's been on Dave's program here and a couple of others. Uh, he's out of Boston. He's a miso master. Mm. Uh, he's of Taiwanese descent. His parents emigrated from there. Mm. Uh, Rich and I signed a contract with, uh, Chelsea Green Publishing, mm. a great publishing house. They also published, uh, Sander Katz's books on fermentation. Okay. Uh, so we're writing a book called Koji Alchemy. Ooh, wow. And this is the book. Uh, it's going to be the first English language book solely devoted to Koji. Mm. Um, recently, I know um, Rene Redzepe and, and David Zilber from Noma just released their, their guide to fermentation, and they have a great section in there on Koji. Uh, but this book that we're producing is, is really going to be single-line subject on all the different things that we do at Larder with Koji, that, that Rich and his exploration that he's done with it. Um, and you know, our hope is that people will be able to get this book, whether you're a professional or you're a home cook and just be able to run, right. just take it and embrace. Wow. I can't wait. So when are you planning to uh, We're spring of 2020 is hopefully mm. when it's released. So, you know, we've got a little bit of time still, we're, we're still doing a lot of writing. Um, but you know, it'll be here before we know it. Mm, then I can try charcuterie <laughs> and... That's it. You'll be it. able to... We'll have detailed instructions on how we make those things and how to be able to do them at home and do them safely, too. Mm, right. So one thing about, you know, koji and other fermentation products, if you make it, it's like growing plants or something really fun, right? Because that's life. It is. It is. And I touched on that. We, we kind of heard a little bit about that earlier. Like when you make these foods, you're, you're like a farmer. Because you don't do the work. The koji does the work. Mm. The fermentation bacteria, they do the work. Right. They're in the jar. They're eating and producing and making all sorts of different things happen. So your job is to take care of them mm. and to make sure that they have comfortable temperatures and they have enough water and they have either enough sunlight or no sunlight. So your job is to, to act as the steward, as the farmer, and to make sure they're comfortable. Mm. Kind of take care of the lands that they inhibit. Right. Um, <laughs> or uh, that they inhabit. So um, that's that's your job. They mm. do all the heavy lifting. Right. And they reward you with good taste. So. That's it. <laughs> that they do. Right. So um, so your plan is finish the book and anything else? Maybe you can open lottery in Brooklyn. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, we want to make sure it's good in Cleveland first. Mm. Um, you know, and, and for those that are coming through Cleveland, we do Koji classes. Oh. Um, so we do a two-hour Koji intensive. Sometimes they're a little longer. Mm. Well, we go over a wide variety. We send, we make miso and people take some to take home and, and age at home and 
we send people home with koji spores so if you're ever in the cleveland area we we do post uh, on larderdb.com, our website. Uh, we always have a schedule up there mm-hmm. of when those classes are. And, you know, even if you just come in to eat everything from our rye bread to our pastrami to our pickles, it's koji is everywhere. Wow. Yeah. Inspiring. I have to go fly to Cleveland sometime You're going to have soon. to come visit. Right. We've got a place for you to stay. <laughs> okay. And we'll feed you. <laughs> well, I can't wait. <laughs> All right. So that's so the Larder DB. Yeah. Dot yeah, com. That's it. Okay. So, all right. So, thank you for joining us today. And uh, please come back. I, there's so much more we should talk about. Well, you're welcome. And thank you for having me on. Thank you. So, listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or hikwatema.com. And Japan Needs is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. And I'm Jenny's um, Matt Patterson, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.